Hey everyone, Alyssa here, and you're listening to Calm Conversations, a podcast where we talk about all things mental health. So today we are going to talk about the topic of miscarriage. About 10 to 20% of known pregnancies actually end in miscarriage, but not that many people talk about it. And so when it does happen, a lot of women typically feel really alone and don't know who they can talk to about it. This can cause isolation and even disconnection from their own partners. So I'm here today with Mary Sodden, a naturopathic doctor and fertility coach who also happens to be my cousin. She's based in Ontario, Canada, and she has two lovely sons who I'm dying to meet once COVID is over and I can go visit her. But what I just learned recently is that she has had two miscarriages, and which I did not know about, and she is here to bravely tell us her story. Hi, Mary. How are you doing? Hi, how are you? Good. Thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having me. So would you mind telling the listeners a little bit about yourself? So I'm Mary, and I'm a naturopathic doctor, fertility coach, and the host of the Fertility Stories podcast. And I usually work with women to get pregnant and stay pregnant. And I'm also a mom of two boys. I love to read, or actually now I just listen to audiobooks. And <laughs> I love going out for walks in nature and eating out. All right. So, okay, I'm just going to probe a little bit, you know, all the way back, let's let's take it back many, many years, you know, before you got married and when you were younger, how many kids did you dream of having? I actually wanted, always wanted to have three kids. So mm. I'm almost there. I don't know if I will <laughs> want to have another one, but we'll see. Yeah. Did you want like, I want one boy, one girl, or sorry, that's three kids, two boys, one girl. <laughs> uh, did you have names picked out and everything? I didn't really um, have any preference for gender, but I did have some names picked out. Like after reading Sophie's World in high school, I really loved the name Sophie or Sophia, which um, I learned from that book actually meant wisdom. So I loved it for a girl name. And um, since I wanted to be a doc, I always wanted to be a doctor. I liked Luke for boys since, you know, St. Luke was like the patron saint of, of physicians and doctors. All right. Um, and then you got married in 2013. And when did you plan to have your first child? Well, mostly immediately. Right after we got married, we immediately planned to like start having kids. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I always said my journey started just like anyone else's. It's like a, a textbook case of career. I did that. My husband, I got married. We got a house, check. And then, you know, I'm the type of girl who... Um, has my life planned out like since high school and I always have these like benchmarks in my head of you know when I wanted to accomplish my life goals and like after having getting married getting a house the next step would be like naturally having children and I never like imagined that things would ever go awry mm. and so I was about 30 to I think when we got married and we started trying immediately for a baby and it was like crickets right after that. Mm. It took like a year and a few months until I finally got pregnant. 
And, you know, by definition, like for women under 35, which I was then, after one year of unprotected intercourse, women who aren't able to like conceive are diagnosed with infertility. And for women over 35, after six months, it's considered um, infertility as well. And, you know, having a medical background, that information like was always in the back of my head, but we didn't seek like medical help at that point. And I think, you know, looking back at that time, I felt I was still young. I didn't have a family history of infertility or any known medical diagnoses that will contribute to infertility. So I, I, I kind of like, um, was confident that I would eventually fall pregnant. I mm-hmm. think I was misguided in that belief, maybe. <laughs> um, you know, I thought it was healthy. I thought things would be easy. I mean, I know lots of women who fall pregnant within a few months of actively trying to conceive. And I never in my wildest imaginings think that, you know, I would have a problem. Right, right. How did you cope with that information? I mean, you, especially as a doctor, you know, all the goings on behind the causes and whatnot. What did you think? And how did you cope with that feeling? Um, I think... I didn't <laughs> like I just like brushed it off and like um was like let's just keep trying we don't really need help I was like in denial and I eventually like fell pregnant anyway and then I think after that and then after experiencing the miscarriage then I decided to be more proactive and then seek help and we actually had trouble like after the miscarriage in terms of conceiving again right after that. So um, I think I suffered from having to deal with infertility right after the the first miscarriage. And coping with that, um, basically... I didn't really like deal with it very much. I was in naturopathic medical school at the time and then I I just threw myself in in school and I just kind of like <laughs> buried my head in the sand and and whenever people would be like, "Oh, why don't you have kids yet?" I'd be like, "Stop asking that question." Yeah, what what <laughs> do you respond to that kind of question? I just like <laughs> change the subject or like talk about something else but deep inside I'm just very annoyed when people would bring that up and it's like it's none of your business people stop asking that question so mostly I get that like comment a lot but I would just like say oh you know I'm in school and maybe next year when I'm done and stuff so yeah that's that's how I I coped and also like I had a naturopathic doctor that I that I saw when I was in school and that kind of helped like take care of myself physically and also mentally and I also saw the school counselor at the time when I was in in school and that also helped talking about how I felt and I guess that helped me cope with infertility as well. Right okay so you tried for a year you eventually fell pregnant but it ended in a miscarriage as you just said. When Mm -hmm. did you learn that you miscarried? So after like after we tried like it was about a year a few months I got pregnant and I actually didn't expect it to happen so at that time and after I did a pregnancy test I was like oh for sure this will be negative but I was wrong and um, John my husband and I were like so excited that 
finally, it's a positive test. And we told our parents and our siblings, and everything went well until like the early ultrasound at seven weeks. And I remember that moment like vividly in my head. Like I couldn't see the the screen, but I could see the tech's face, and she was smiling and friendly as she started the scan. And then she was silent, and I could see her face like grow somber. And she said that she would need to confer with the doctor. And she had me book in again in another week's time. But I remember leaving the ultrasound office and like in tears because I knew in my gut that something was wrong. And John at that time tried to reassure me that well maybe it's just too early, maybe they just couldn't pick up the heartbeat or something. But deep down, I just knew that you know something was wrong. And I did another ultrasound in a week, and that's when I found out that there was no heartbeat, and all they could see on the scan was like this gestational sac. And I miscarried、um, a few days later.、Um, I kind of like had an inkling that you know something was wrong. But like having my worst fear confirmed was really like such a big blow, and I was utterly like devastated and totally like inconsolable. And you know the miscarriage it started off like as a slight cramp, kind of like a a period cramp、mm-hmm. that just kept getting worse and worse until it was like the worst cramp I have ever、mm-hmm. felt. And I remember thinking that. Maybe there's a way to stop it. Maybe there's a way to save the baby. Like I know it was irrational because there was no heartbeat to begin with, but all I kept thinking was maybe there's a way to make things better. And then I started bleeding, and it just got heavier and heavier. And so my husband and I decided to go to the emergency room. And there was a bit of a wait, and I was like bleeding so heavily at that point that whenever I would stand up, I would just soak through a pad. Like it was the heaviest、mm. um, bleed I've ever had. And when I finally saw the ER doctor, like I don't remember exactly what he said, but I remember that he had like this great、um, bedside manner, despite it being like the middle of the night almost. And he was really like kind and reassuring, and he sent me for another like ultrasound and blood work the next day, and discharged me from the ER, kind of like with the knowledge that it was an inevitable miscarriage and that there was really nothing to be done. Except to like watch and wait until I can pass all the 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 fetal tissue, and you know at that instant like everything everything just changed. Like I was totally totally devastated and depressed, and you know for me even if our baby was like only seven weeks old, like I considered that clump of cells as a life, and even like early on I felt this protective maternal attachment to it. From the moment I found out that I was pregnant, and I really grieved the the loss of the baby, but also the future of you know what could have been, and like to this day I still kind of think, oh, if our baby survived, he or she would probably be six or seven years old already today. Like I still think about、mm. that until today, and I'm kind of like the type of person who just bottles everything up. And it's really difficult for me to talk about, like you know, personal things, even with like friends or family. And so I think I sat with, you know, the grief of that miscarriage for like a really long time. And I was kind of glad that I was just starting naturopathic medical school at the time, so it was like a welcome distraction. And so I just like you know threw myself into the schoolwork and. 
also like I saw the the school counselor like a few times and also I saw like uh, my own naturopathic doctor at that time to kind of like help me um, through that to cope with the grief like mentally and emotionally but also like to physically um, get myself healthier and looking back now as I when I was like reflecting back um, with what happened I kind of I don't think I really processed my grief well. I kind of like put it in the back of my mind and I would often like cry. I remember crying all the time at that mm-hmm. for that time, like probably a year after that that experience. And I mean, like I would be in class or in a lecture and they'll be talking about something not even remotely related to children or miscarriage, but like I found myself like tearing up and I think I was just very like teary and emotional for that entire whole year after that after that experience and I would just like keep that sadness to myself like you know I would present this happy face in public but when I was in my room alone I would be like sad and tearful and I kind of just like shut down and stopped like talking to anyone about my experience of miscarriage like even my husband I really just bottled up like all my emotions since that's how I was that's how I dealt with it and also there was so much like stigma to miscarriage where it's not really talked about Hmm. and for some reason I kind of like felt compelled to like keep it to myself like no one really like told me to do so but I just felt like oh I can't share this and as a medical professional I know it's a very common experience you know for women but for something so common it's not like talked about often enough like um, I was like looking at the stats in the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists actually said that it could range anywhere from 10 to 25% of all clinically recognized pregnancies. They all eventually might end in early pregnancy loss. And, you know, for such a a common condition, I still felt that I was the only one in the world going through it. Mm -hmm. Like it felt, I felt alone and isolated and I didn't really know anyone at the time who went through a miscarriage. And actually it was just um, later on in life when some friends or some relatives would tell me, oh, so-and-so went through that as well. And I'm like, oh, really? <laughs> how come they never talked about it? So yeah, that's that's how I, that's how my experience was with the first miscarriage. Um, I did want to ask you about how do you think your experience with grief compared to John, your husband's? So I think it was totally different from mine like he he wasn't emotional at all like he also um kept a lot of his emotions about the loss to himself like he was he was sad but I think he was trying to be strong for me but you know and so he wouldn't like cry in front of me or like show emotion so much in front of me but he did tell me that when he talked about it with a close friend of his like he like like cried and he was really emotional but in front of me, he was like, oh, I have to be strong for you. Mm. And do you think that helped or actually you would have preferred the vulnerability so that you could share it? Um, I think that helped since mm. I felt like he was like a good rock for me to like lean on. So him being strong for me was was good. Mm. And I felt like, yeah, I could I could lean on him in that trying time. 
Right. And how about for family? Because you shared that information of your pregnancy with your immediate family, right? Mm -hmm. Well, how did you deliver that news and how did they receive it? I think they were mostly in shock. Like I, I remember telling my mom and my sister, and I think they were kind of like stunned and didn't know what to say. And so they were mostly quiet. And I don't really remember what they said, but they were, they just had this like stunned look on their face and not knowing like what to do or what to say. Um, and I found that, oh, <laughs> This isn't helpful like for me. I I know I have no right to like be judgy and stuff, but at that moment I remember thinking, oh, I I didn't feel like I was supported enough. But I remember telling like this other classmate of mine that I actually just we just met like a few days after school started, and I told her about the miscarriage, and she she didn't say anything, but all she did was like give me a hug, and I felt that. That was that was a good way to respond to someone who just told you something very heavy, like "Oh, I just had mm-hmm. a had a miscarriage." Um, people, I think, sometimes want to like immediately fix things or yeah. give advice, but I think the most helpful thing is just be there for someone and listen to the story, or even just offer a hug or. Um, a shoulder to cry on, I think is one of the best ways to, to support someone going through a miscarriage. Mm, absolutely. Yeah. And, and whether it's any sort of loss as well, just mm-hmm. being a listening ear and like what you said, not really rushing to give advice. Yes. So I want to get back into your story again, which is not just one miscarriage, but two miscarriages. And I wanted to ask you about that second one. When when did that happen and how did that feel like to have to go through that experience, such a harrowing experience a second time? Um, so after the first miscarriage, I eventually fell pregnant and had our first son, Bruce, maybe a few years after that experience. Mm. And you know, the thing about having a miscarriage is that Every time, like, I went to the washer when I was pregnant with Bruce, I felt like I was super hyper vigilant mm. and would actually always check, am I spotting, am I bleeding, like, am I going to miscarry? That was always, like, heavy on right. my mind throughout the pregnancy with, with Bruce. Like, I was so scared that I would have another miscarriage. But thank God that, you know, I was able to carry to term and Bruce was born healthy And then we tried for a second child when Bruce was one. And after like a few months, I felt pregnant again. And when I had my early ultrasound at like seven weeks, it kind of felt like deja vu because the tech again wouldn't like meet my eye. And this time she kind of like broke protocol. They're not supposed to say anything. And, but this time like she, she just told me that there's no heartbeat Mm -hmm. and my doctor actually saw me on the same day as the ultrasound and she confirmed, you know, what the tech already shared with me. And so, you know, my doctor talked to us and kind of like warned me that it's not looking good and I should expect to miscarry in the next few days, which in fact was what happened. So I had spotting a few days later and then cramping and heavy bleeding again. So the same symptoms as what happened as the first one. And again, I was like plunged into like sadness and hopelessness. And I know I have my son, Bruce, and you know, he, he's a miracle. He's a blessing. And I'm really like so grateful for him. 
but I also mourned my miscarried child. And it was also December at the time. It was the holiday season. And it kind of like made things worse for me. Mm. Um, since it's supposed to be such a joyful time in <laughs> for everyone. But for me, I felt like, ugh, what is this? So as a woman, you know, as soon as I know that I'm pregnant, I instantly like bond with the life that's growing in me. Like even if it was just like early days. And so I felt like, Again, I was again grieving like the future of what could have been. Like I could have had like this three children by now. Like I was like thinking of, oh, I could have like had another uh, girl or another boy. And this time I'm like, ugh, going through this loss once more. So, and there's so much like invisible grief to miscarriage because no one really knew that I was pregnant the second time around mm. except for our parents. And we were like, let's not tell anyone else just in case. But, you know, this time around, I decided to open up and talk about what I was going through. And so like during my first miscarriage, I felt like I held on to like that trauma for so long because I refused to really talk about it. And I kept my grief mostly to myself and my counselor, a naturopath. But this time around, I decided to like tell all my friends about it, tell family. What compelled you to do that, to actually speak out this time? Hmm. Something in my gut, I think. In my, it was sort of like instinctual that I just felt compelled to like share it with people and not bottle it up and keep it to myself. <laughs> And I felt that the more I talked about my loss, the better I was able to cope. And so I just kept talking to more people about it. I kept talking to John about it more. And I felt the load was like lifted from my shoulders. And like my heart didn't like feel as heavy as it did when I had the first miscarriage, which which was which was great. And so, you know, I still grieved. I still ugh, had time off from work and from like being a mom actually John actually gave me a lot of space and time to grieve like it was after Christmas he he and our son Bruce he, he, they went away to my in-laws place and decided to like just give me my space so I can like just grieve on my own and be mm-hmm. and, and be there for myself and so they came back like in the new year which which was great to have that time off of being a mom being being a wife and and I was just letting my I was just there like crying and it just felt so therapeutic to like be alone and just cry it out and talk about it and in the new year I decided to like be proactive and really like double down on like my health both like physically and mentally and so you know at at that time I decided to know I'll be really healthy in terms of food I exercised I took supplements I practiced self-care I read all the studies and books that I could on how to optimize my health after a miscarriage and I find I found that it really helped me so what kind of compelled you to take care of your do self-care this time around? Hmm. I, I guess I wanted to like try a different approach from what I did after the first miscarriage since I didn't want to feel like depressed for a whole year mm-hmm. after having a miscarriage. And so I decided, you know, this time I want to like really take care of myself so that 
when we do try for another child, like I'll be the healthiest mm-hmm. I can be. And if that include, if that like entails me really taking care of myself, not just physically, but also like mentally and emotionally, then I should be in a better place of carrying a child to term. So now that, I mean, you've been through this harrowing experience twice, what did you wish you knew during your first miscarriage that you know now? Um, I wish I embraced my grief more fully instead of like putting it in the back burner. I think talking about it with others, despite it being so uncomfortable for myself or for the listener, I think just talking about it was really, really therapeutic. And when you started talking about it, did actually more women tell you as well about their experiences? Yes, actually. (laughs) Well, some family members did like, oh, you're so-and-so also had a miscarriage. They kind of like cited other other Mm. friends that they had or someone they knew also had or some celebrity that they (laughs) know like had a miscarriage. So I think they they started opening up about it more, which was great. And as it should be, it shouldn't be something that you sweep under the rug and not ever talk about. Like, I don't understand why there's such a stigma around it. Because really, it's it's a common experience. It's it's like losing like a loved one. Mm. Like, but for some reason, when you lose like a child early on, it's not as recognized or talked about as if you lost like an uncle or or a child. Yeah, yeah. So a lot of people, as you said, don't know what to say to someone who's just lost lost a pregnancy. What are kind of like the most insensitive comments that you received and how did you deal with them? Mm. Well, one of them is like, at least you know you can have children or at least you know um you can fall pregnant or or um you can always have another like those are some of the things people say and really i'm just thinking when people say that like i don't at that moment i'm thinking i don't want another baby i wanted this yeah. baby and you know people might mean well but at the moment i just wanted and needed to grieve for the baby that I just lost. Or sometimes people would say, oh, what did you do? Which isn't helpful at all. Like, stop blaming the woman that they did not do anything wrong to cause the baby to miscarry. So that's like one of the worst things ever to say to someone who, who miscarried. Or sometimes people would say, oh, everything happens for a reason or it's for the best. Mm. And I'm thinking, hmm, the best for whom? <laughs> and, <laughs> and, you know, given all the pain, the physical, emotional pain that a miscarriage brings, like, how is this better for me to have had a miscarriage? Yeah. Yeah. So those are some of the <laughs> some things that I could remember people right. saying. Okay. What should people say instead? What would you advise them to say? Hmm. I think people can just say, I'm sorry. Or they can say, what can I do to help you? Or I'm here for you. So simple things like that, or even just offering a hug or a shoulder to cry on, like those things are enough, I think. Because the comments that I mentioned earlier that were quite hurtful, at that moment, I remember feeling hurt by those comments. Or even 
if people don't acknowledge the experience of miscarriage or they decide to like themselves change a topic mm. or something the lack of comments even about it can be hurtful it feels kind of dismissive of someone's feelings or even someone's experience of the loss don't just ignore them or not say anything like either through actions or by saying i'm sorry or i'm here for you it won't be dismissive that way mm thanks for that advice i think yeah a lot of us don't get that course on how to do how to deal with grief right and so when you don't talk about something you don't talk about grief you don't mm. talk about miscarriage how are you going to know what to do so that's something i've learned as well mm-hmm. um yeah people don't really know how to deal with death or don't know how to talk about it so it's definitely a learning yes, experience it is and really like be kind <laughs> that i think that's something that people should be kind don't minimize their feelings or don't expect them to get over it quickly like everyone's feelings when grieving it's valid and it's just be there offer a shoulder offer a comforting hug yeah just a couple more questions for you you recently had baby jack and mm-hmm. now that you know you have two boys i know grief never fully goes away you still you see your two boys but you you carry um the two losses as well of children who could have been how do you deal with all of that hmm. there's this comic or infographic like that i saw one day and it's of this little rock that in the infographic it people expect grief to kind of like as the rock gets smaller and smaller through the years but actually it stays the same size as the years go by you just kind of like grow around the grief so yes it does stay with me still like it was i still feel sad sometimes um thinking about those two miscarriages but also i think having self care being able to process the grief allows me to be present for for my kids and to just count my blessings and enjoy every moment i have with them that's good i i have one last question for you and this is a question we ask mm-hmm. all of our guests How do you find calm for yourself? Hmm. So I actually practice a a morning routine which I I try to do every single day even if I'm like very sleepy since I have to wake up multiple times at mm. night for for my little baby. So it's actually based on how Elrod's book Miracle Morning and um it it kind of like starts with silence so while i'm breastfeeding i'm just like this is my moment of silence to start the day and like half sleepy <laughs> and i just kind of like do a short prayer at the time it really like calms my mind and it sets the tone for the rest of my day and really like the morning is like such a critical time well for me it is since it kind of like it's my anchor it it influences like um my attitude for the rest of the day how my mindset for the rest of the day and after i have this moment of silence and of a prayer i actually do some a very short visualization of what i want for my future which or my family's future <laughs> like it's a little imagination of like where i want to be like whether it's tomorrow or 5 years from now and then 
I kind of just like envision myself achieving my goals for myself and for my family. And then I, I have this um, affirmation cards from Love Powered Co. And I just read one affirmation card each morning and I find like this, this positive self-talk very powerful and it kind of like shuts down my, my inner critic. And then after the reading the affirmation, I listen to like this five minute guided meditation from, from Simple Habit, which is an, a free app. Um, and, or sometimes I, I, I use Expectful, which is geared mostly towards pregnancy, postpartum, and motherhood. It's another free app that offers guided meditation. So that's my, um, morning routine, which really helps me like get calm and set the tone for the rest of, the rest of the day. Also, I find that decluttering and tidying up, it's also very, very calming. So I actually just finished listening to a book by Gretchen Rubin last night. It was called like Outer Order, Inner Calm. And she talked about how like decluttering and organizing actually contributes to inner calm and it makes room for happiness. Since, you know, when you are in control of your stuff, it actually makes you feel more in control of your life. So I love that idea since I'm such a a neat freak and I love organizing things and it, and I love decluttering and it really gives me such calm, especially amidst the chaos of like all the toys around the house. (laughs) (laughs) And and finally, like really self-care. It's super, super important. Like I, especially with, you know, like two little boys plus me working and still and, and having to like run the house and have a husband like carving out time just for myself is super important so eating right exercising you know sleeping as much as I can sleep so practicing self-care very important for me to be able to be calm sounds like you take your self-care really seriously as we all as we all should yes thank you for all those tips I'll link to all those apps in the show notes as well so thank you so much for your time today and sharing your story, which, you know, I I can't believe I never knew about all of this. And it's it's it was surprising the first time you told me, you know, that you've been through this grief. And I agree, we, we definitely need to talk about this more with friends, family. I agree, for sure. Like, that's, that's why I... I think it's like my mission as a as a naturopath and a fertility coach to like really talk about it be open about it and also be able to help more women get through it all right thank you so much for joining us today thanks for having me thank you for listening to calm conversations if you like today's conversation make sure to follow this podcast we have a lot more interesting conversations lined up dealing with many different aspects of mental health from an asian cultural lens Make sure to follow us on Instagram, Telegram, or Facebook to find out when we're releasing our next podcast episode or hosting our next talk. You can look us up as Calm Collective Asia or go to our website, www.calmcollective.asia. This podcast is supported by the National Youth Council, the Youth Action Challenge, and Youth Collab. Also, a huge thank you to Snakeweed Studios who are helping us record and produce this podcast. See you next time. Until then, stay calm.